You're listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org. Soon afterward, he went on through one town and village after another, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, as well as some of the women who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward, Chusa, and Susanna, and many others, who ministered to them out of their own resources. The word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We know them as the woman caught in adultery, the Samaritan woman, the woman with the costly ointment. Though in Luke she's known as a sinner, and in John, Mary of Bethany, here in Matthew's Gospel, she has no name. Just a wasteful woman. None of them are defined by forgiveness or by redemption or even friendship. We know them through their crime. What's wrong with them? Adulterer, Samaritan, wasteful. And yet, their encounters with Jesus showed us so much more. She wasn't the type of woman that other women would hang out with. She had many husbands. We'd probably call them boyfriends today. They were men that she spent time with and was intimate with. She was a Samaritan. Jews avoided Samaritans. They were the worst of the worst. And she'd come alone to the well to get water. Now, gathering water was often a community act. Women would travel together to the well and collect the water. But this woman was there by herself, which might suggest that no one was willing to go with her. She was isolated. The people of her village distanced themselves from her, but Jesus saw her. Not just with his eyes, with his heart. He saw her, he got her, he loved her. He talked with her and he broke all kinds of codes and laws by allowing her, a woman, a Samaritan, an outcast, to get him a drink. A drink that led to conversation. A conversation in which Jesus gave her worth and value and he didn't hold things against her, things that she had done. Bob Goff said Jesus didn't rack up all the things she'd done and isolate her even more as a result. He closed the gap, erased the distance, and covered her in grace. Jesus simply offered her grace. So she was no longer isolated. And because he revealed his messiahship to her, it gave her a sense of confidence and power to go out and share the good news. And people listened to her. She was no longer a victim. She was a child of grace. Sarah Bessie writes, When the Samaritan woman at the well met Jesus, he treated her like any other thirsty soul needing the living water. She was a leading, leading a life that likely generated the hiss of shame and the eyes of judgment. 
She was among the least valued and the most dishonored of her day. Yet Jesus engaged her in serious theological discussion. In fact, hers is the longest personal conversation with Jesus ever recorded in Scripture. It was also the first time that the words, I am the Messiah, were spoken from his lips. And she became an evangelist. She told her story. She told Jesus' story. And many lives were saved. When the disciples expressed their surprise at this turn, Jesus was matter-of-fact. This is simply the way of things. And yet we know her as the Samaritan woman instead of the evangelist at the well or the woman who shared her truth or the woman to whom Jesus revealed his messiahship. Jesus takes our story and makes it greater and empowers us to tell his story, which is our story too. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery to see Jesus. They remind him that the law of Moses says that she must be stoned. And that's true. Leviticus 20.10 says, If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. And in Deuteronomy 22.22, it says, If a man is discovered, discovered lying with his wife, with the wife of another man, then both of them shall die, the man who lay with the woman as well as the woman. So you shall purge the evil from Israel. And the scripture comes from John chapter 8, verses 4. They said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law of Moses, he commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? You notice anything about that passage? The woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. I don't think she was alone, but she was the one being threatened. All that aside, Jesus is fascinating in this scenario. He bends down and starts uh, doodling in the sand. Maybe he's just trying to make them squirm. But they keep questioning him, and he stands up and asks if any of them have ever sinned. If not, they can throw the first stone. No one does. They just leave. The Pharisees were using this woman to test Jesus. I wonder where the man, man caught in adultery too was. It seems that the Pharisees were wanting to keep true to the law, yet only had half of the scenario to present to Jesus. Jesus sees their hypocrisy and the way they have made the law more important than the person. He forgives the woman, gives her dignity, and empowers her to go forward. Perhaps she should be known as the forgiven woman, or the woman who made us realize we're all sinners, or the woman who escaped stoning. Jesus takes our sin, forgives it, and calls us to sin no more. We go forward free. The third account of a nameless woman that we have today falls just before Jesus or Judas agreed to betray Jesus. A woman has come to offer a gift to Jesus to anoint him with costly oil. It's two days before the Passover, and we can assume that she knew what was coming. She comes into Simon the leper's home. Jesus and the disciples are eating, and she breaks the jar, anoints Jesus with the ointment. 
and the disciples are offended. They rebuke her. What a waste. Not an appropriate use of the oil. If you really were a disciple, you would sell it and give the money to the poor. Barbara Brown Taylor said, When the woman interrupts the supper to do something so excessive, it's impossible to ignore. They make the kind of speeches they think good disciples should make. They object to the waste. They stand up for the poor. They let Jesus know that if they had been consulted first, they would have made a better decision than this. This woman who has just poured out what might have been saved for judicious use. They look to Jesus for reassurance, and he gives them none. You will always have the poor with you, he said. You won't always have me. She's done something nice for me in preparing me for my burial. Here again, he doesn't allow those around him to shame the woman. Instead, he validates her and in so doing empowers her. Sometimes you do the right thing, even if it is wasteful. This woman recognized who Jesus was, and she sought to honor him, to worship him. Her name could be the woman who worshiped Jesus, or the woman who gave what she had to show honor, or the woman who gifted Jesus. Jesus takes what we have to offer, our worship, our sacrifice, our gifts, ourselves, and he blesses and values what we give. And we feel good and empowered through that blessing. Now these three stories are all hallmarks of Jesus' ministry, but when we look throughout the Gospels, time and again, we see that Jesus behaves this way over and over again. He doesn't engage in shaming the other. He doesn't look away at the outcast. He doesn't reprimand the one who breaks the rules, who reaches out to him for healing, even though she's been deemed unclean. She doesn't, he doesn't uh, ignore the one who sits as, at his feet instead of doing what her sister expected, doesn't reject the one who challenged him. He says, let them come to me. Today's three stories and so many stories of Jesus' ministry show a new way. They throw out, it throws out the rules that are meant to categorize and shame and separate. Instead, it's a new way that operates out of love and compassion and understanding. It's been a while since I've told a Tony Campolo story, and so I'm going to tell this one called The Party Dress. A pastor friend of Tony's uh, liked to go to Nordstrom's in Bel Air. She'd go at Christmas time to see all the decorations. She couldn't buy much, but she liked to watch. One of her visits, she went to the top of the store and looked over. She was looking down at the finest dresses that she'd ever seen. The elevator doors opened and out stepped a woman. She saw this woman, her clothes were dirty, she pushed a cart that had bags in it. She was clearly out of place and likely couldn't afford anything in that store. The dresses were thousands of dollars and so naturally the pastor expected a security guard to come and escort her out. But instead, a saleswoman came up to her. May I help you, ma'am? Yeah, she said, I wanna buy a dress. Well, what kind of dress? The saleswoman asked, and she did so in a dignified manner. A party dress. Well, you've come to the right place. Follow me. I think we have some of the finest party dresses in the world. 
She spent 10 minutes, or more than 10 minutes, matching dresses to the woman's skin color and eye color and trying to help her decipher which would go best with her complexion. And she selected three dresses. She invited the woman to a dressing room, and the pastor ran down into the adjoining room so she could hear. The woman tried on all the dresses with the saleswoman's help and then sternly said, I've changed my mind. I'm not going to buy a dress today. The woman said, that's okay, but here's my card. Should you come back to Nordstrom, I do hope that you will ask for me. I would consider it a privilege to wait on you again. To walk with Jesus is to treat others the way that he did. It's to remember that he doesn't shame us. He welcomes us, forgives us, extends us grace, and loves us unconditionally. We know this through our, the promise of our baptism, the promise that the world may reject us, but God never will. That's empowering knowledge. It moves us to value and empower others, reserving judgment, not allowing others to be shamed. We, like Christ, can offer dignity, stand with those so often pushed aside, those who've been taught to dis- that those who we've been taught to disregard. Our synopsis scripture that Braden read said, had women in Jesus' inner circle who were named. They were called to follow and they used their gifts to support Jesus' ministry. This reminds us that while we may not know the names of the women in our stories, Jesus did. He saw them and knew them. And he knows our names too. He sees us, he calls us by name to follow him and know that he walks with us every step of the way. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org.